You know, every culture, every society kind of develops its own own rhythms, its own uh, seasons, the kind of the way that it, it does things in and out. There are times of, uh, of really high focus, high intensity when folks are very, very, very invested. And then there are times where you kind of step back for relaxation and uh, maybe focus more on celebration. Maybe there's some rhythms where you do some uh, evaluating and uh, kind of re- rethinking a little bit. And then there are, there are times where we kind of re-engage and begin anew and afresh. In our culture, in our society, there are at least two times a year that we typically think about new beginnings or starting again or re-engaging. One of those is at the beginning of a brand new calendar year, right? Uh, so we, we turn it over, we have a fresh new calendar, January 1, New Year's resolutions, that whole thing. It's, a, it's all, always kind of a time of, of new beginnings, new starts. And, Everybody's going to get fit and lose weight and do all these things. I mean, it's, it, it's a new beginning time. The second time in our culture that is oftentimes we think about fresh start, new beginning, getting back in gear is right about now the beginning of an academic year. And I guess that's in part because we, you know, we grew up in school systems and then if you enter into parenting, then you kind of go through that whole cycle again with your, your kids. And so there, there is something about this time of the year that we kind of begin to start to think about start up, uh, begin again, re-engage a little bit along the way. You know, we are, I think as of tomorrow uh, here locally, the Fort Mill school system, three weeks away three weeks away from the start uh, of a new academic year, and that is causing consternation for some and celebration on behalf of a lot of moms, right? And I understand that, understand that. But you can begin to see we're already already kind of gearing up for that. So you walk in the stores, and there's, there's displays, and all the school supplies are on sale, back-to-school sales, and all this sort of thing, uh, band and sports teams, and all those are already engaging, getting ready for the start of this brand new year. And with that in mind, though, you know, fall is also a good time uh, for us to begin to think about maybe re-engaging spiritually, re-engaging with some of the, uh, the, the habits or practices of our life. And so what I wanted to do for these next three weeks is just spend some time just thinking about how God grows me. How God grows me. Some of the different ways that God uses to grow me into the man, into the man, woman, into the person that he wants me to be. And as we think about that, we're, we're certainly not going to cover every way that God grows us. But I want to focus on three. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, what is a missing piece for many people. and But it is, it is part of God's plan A. And that is that God grows me through people. God grows me through people. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the fact that God grows me through problems, that God, yes, uses problems intentionally. He has a purpose in our problems, and so we're going to look at that. But this morning, I want us to start and just look at what will come as perhaps no surprise to us, and that is that God chooses to grow me through his word, that God chooses to work through this incredible gift of the Bible, of the scripture, of his word. You know, study after study, personal experience and testimony show that there is perhaps no more powerful catalyst to spiritual growth, to becoming more and more like Jesus than the Bible, than 
God's word. And what can happen to us is sometimes is we can kind of take that for granted a little bit. We have such easy access to it. Many of us, we, we have never known a time where we haven't had access to the Bible. Probably many of us have several different copies or versions of it. We can have it on our phones or iPads or whatever else it might be. We have really easy access to God's Word, but we don't always utilize God's Word as this growth catalyst that God intended for it to be. When you even look at the Bible, it tells us something about the priority, the power inherent in the Bible, in God's Word, in Scripture. 2 Timothy 3 will be familiar words to to many of you. All Scripture, Paul's writing to Timothy, just lifting up the centrality of God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good Work. Now, think about that statement. That, there's something powerful. He's saying, when you come to this book, when you come to the Bible, you're not just coming to an interesting historical document. You're not just coming to somebody's thoughts or ideas or philosophy, but you are actually encountering God's Word, God's Word that was breathed out, breathed out by God, that He, he inspired this Word in the lives of Man who wrote it down. He has sovereignly superintended its collection and its, and its preservation through the centuries so that you and I here today could have a copy, have access to God-breathed words. Words that have the potential to shape our lives. They, they teach us at times rebuke us and reprove us, correct us, redirect us, shape us along the way so that we can be the person that God created us and calls us to be. We have this incredible gift of God's Word. Well, why do I need the Bible? Why do I need the Bible? I mean, can't I just, you know, just kind of just go along and, you know, God's all over and all that sort of thing? Well, the Bible helps us in so many ways. You know, I need the Bible, first of all, just to know God. The Bible will help me to know God. Does God speak and kind of reveal himself in creation? Absolutely. Scripture even talks about that. There is something in many of you just being out in nature is a way for you to, to reconnect to God. But there are, there's a limit to that, that God has most clearly and specifically revealed himself to us through the Scripture. In the Scripture, we begin to know more and more about the God who really is God uses the Bible to teach us truth, to to teach me truth. There are are a lot of ideas, a lot of philosophies out there. There are a lot of truth claims, right? In many ways, we live in an age of of truth decay, do we not? Uh, So we end up saying things like, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, that that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. As if truth is somehow like a flavor of ice cream. You know, you like chocolate, I like strawberry, or or whatever it might be. But truth truth is this thing that that it conforms to reality. This is the way reality 
is. And God reveals to us in his word truth. He he drops this plumb line down and says, this is what everything is to be measured against. The Bible teaches me truth. The Bible shows me how to live. As I become acquainted with God and acquainted with his truth, he shows me how to live. How do I, how do I live? How do I, how do I relate to God? How do I relate to others? How do I, how do I make this thing called life work? And Bible, God uses the Bible to teach me, to show me how to live. And a fourth benefit of just utilizing God's word is he gives me strength. God uses the Bible to give me strength. He strengthens my character. He strengthens my hope. He strengthens my, my resolve, my, my desire. Even at times I can even experience kind of a physical strengthening as I encounter God through his word. All of those benefits and many, many more are available to us through the Bible. The question is, how? How do, I, how do I really make that operative in my life? Or said another way, how do I utilize God's Word as this growth catalyst that God intended for it to be? And what I want to do this morning is just kind of talk about four different ways to utilize God's Word. And, and none of these will perhaps will be surprising to you, but I can tell you this. If you incorporate these into the rhythms of your life, they can be transformational. They can be transformational for you. We can utilize God's word, first of all, to help me to get knowledge. I use the Bible to help me to get knowledge. Knowledge about God. Knowledge about myself and human nature. Knowledge about others. Knowledge about how this world operates and how God intends for us to navigate this world. And the lack of knowledge can be incredibly destructive. Yeah, sometimes you hear those statements, uh, what you don't know can't hurt you. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. What you don't know can really hurt you. In fact, through the prophet Hosea, God put it this way. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. When when, when I lack knowledge, when I reject knowledge, it invites destruction in my life. When a culture begins to walk away from a knowledge of God, it invites destruction in that culture. Going to the New Testament, Jesus uh, answering some of the critics and those who had questions, he said, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Why are you thinking wrong? Why am I making wrong choices? Why are we going in a wrong direction? Because we do not know the scriptures. And through the scriptures, we do not know the power of God. In order to utilize the Bible to get knowledge, it has kind of as a goal, a focus, if you will. And at this level of involvement and this level of utilization, the goal is simply that I will know the Word of God, that I will know the Word of God so that I will begin to, to just have an awareness, a knowledge, a familiarity with the Word of God. And yet what we find is we increasingly live in a culture that is marked by biblical illiteracy, right? Right? 
I remember a few years ago when, when then President uh, George Bush uh, was made a speech. And in that speech, he, he referenced uh, kind of the, the going down the Jericho Road. And he was talking about the, the Good Samaritan and that sort of thing. And what was interesting was reading some of the reporters after that. Hearing some of the reporters, they didn't have a clue as to what he was talking about. They, they, they didn't know what, what is he talking about, Jericho Road? What is, did something happen over in the Middle East or, you know, what, what, what's going on there? They didn't have a, even a frame of reference to know what that was about. Barna and others who have uh, done those uh, surveys through the years just have kind of tracked a growing biblical illiteracy in in our society. Here's some of their information. 62% of Americans thought the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, was in the Bible. Let me help you out here this morning. That's not the Bible. That's Ben Franklin, okay? I mean, sure, it's serious. It is not in the Bible. It, not, not a bad statement, but, it, but it's, it's not in the Bible. It's Ben Franklin. Uh, one uh, half of Americans couldn't name where Jesus was born. One third think there is a book of Thomas in the Bible. Another study that they did revealed uh, that uh, there is a sizable segment of people that think Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers. Jesus was baptized by Moses. The Gospels were written by Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. And that the epistles were the wives of the apostles. Right? Right? And we laugh at some of those. But let me ask you. See, biblical illiteracy is not just out there, but increasingly it's even within the churches that mark our landscape. My guess is that if we took a quick poll this morning in this room and said, how many of you really believe the Ten Commandments? You just really think, boy, the Ten Commandments, that's, that's a good guideline for living. And I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm for the Ten Commandments. And we said, okay, take out a piece of paper. And without looking, in your Bible or on, at your neighbor, how many of us could list the Ten Commandments? Hmm. Wonder what our scores would be today. Now I hate to I almost hated to bring that up in here because I know what some of you are going to do. You're going to spend the rest of the time going Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other god before me. Uh, now, Exodus 20. Look it up when you get home. Exodus 20. All right. But the reality is, we have an increasing biblical Ill- illiteracy inside and outside of the church. So how do, I, how do I overcome that? How do I begin to, to, to move forward in knowing God's Word? Well, it's real simple, by reading it. By reading it. And I know that, that seems so elementary, and yet it is so often, often passed by. I, I have been amazed through the years at the people who will argue you. I mean, they'll almost hit you over the fact. They say, I believe the Bible. I believe this thing from cover to cover. I've asked, what, have you ever read it cover to cover? <laughs> I mean, you say you believe the whole thing. Have you ever read the whole thing? Folks that have been Christians 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years, they'll tell you how much they believe it, but they've never read it. Never read it all. Jesus challenged again some of his critics have you never read in the scriptures 
mean, almost at the most basic level, have you ever read? You read a whole lot of things, you view a whole lot of things, you post a whole lot of things. Have you read? Have you never read? Now, I, I, I'm a little troubled because I hear in some circles, even within the church and even some teachers, preachers, almost downplaying the importance of, uh, of reading the whole counsel of God's Word. And, and they make kind of snide comments about, well, it's just you're just skimming the surface and all this sort of thing. I've got to tell you, that, that to me is, is, is not wise. I figure if, if, if God inspired it, if God has preserved it, then I doggone better acquaint myself with it, eh? I better spend some time getting to know it. Some of you have been around. You've heard different parts of my story through the years. One part that I always share, even in a setting like this, is just an episode that happened to me as a freshman in college. And I was off, and I was kind of had my idea and my plan, and this is how it was going to go, and this is how life was going to go, and career was going to go, and all these things. And I was home Christmas break of my freshman year in college, and a friend of mine and I we went Christmas shopping because it was just a couple days before Christmas, and that's what you do in college—you do last-minute Christmas shopping, right? And exams are done now; you're, you're ready to engage in that. So we were out, kind of horsing around, having a good time, doing a little, little Christmas shopping. And I don't even know what store it was in, but I stumbled across this little booklet. I can still just even see it. It's ragged now. I just have bits and pieces of it left. But it was a little booklet, and it cost 50 cents. I don't know why I remember it cost 50 cents, but it cost 50 cents. And it was 20 minutes a day with the Bible. And... What I was too dumb to know at that time was that this was actually a rather ambitious plan that if you spent 20 minutes a day with the Bible, uh, you, you reading every day, you would read the, through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. And it just dawned on me as a wide-eyed, naive freshman in college that I had never read the Bible. And so I bought myself a 50-cent Christmas present. In January 1st of my freshman year in college, carrying a full load and working and doing all those other things, I started reading the Bible. In fact, is I didn't even have a like a personal copy of the Bible I owned. I think it was like a little children's Bible or something. So I got from my mom. She had a living Bible paraphrase. Some of you remember those? And I toted that back to school with me. And I started reading. And sometimes I'd fall behind and I'd have to, you know, catch up and that sort of thing. There were many nights I'd be laying there on my bed in the dorm. Roommate would already be asleep. I had a little gooseneck lamp thing. It would be shining down the bed and I'd be laying there. It'd be the last thing I would do at night. And I'd be reading the Bible. And I'm just here to tell you, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have tons of Bible study guides and all these wonderful resources that are so easily accessible today. I didn't have a study Bible or any of those things. I just had God's Word. And God took the reading of His Word and He radically transformed my life. 
just because as a young guy, I kept showing up to read God's word. And I'm going to tell you, there is something that God does when you put yourself consistently in the pathway of God's word. And I I, I haven't done it every year since then, but I have done it almost every year, and I can't remember the last year I haven't done it. But I, I have just made it a practice to read through God's word every year. And, I, and, and listen, somebody's saying, well, you're a preacher. You get paid to do that. Listen, I, I don't do that on company time, all right? I'm doing that in the morning. I'm doing that at night, you know, at my house. This, is just, this, is, this isn't for, uh, not for you, it's for me. It's for me, right? And so please hear my heart on this. I understand maybe even some of the criticism a little bit. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year. If that, if that seems too much, if that seems too ambitious, that, that's fine. Start with the New Testament. Read the Bible through in two years or three years. But what I'm just going to ask you this morning is what is your plan? What is your plan? What is your plan to take this God-breathed information and make sure that you are exposing your life to it on a regular, consistent basis? The goal here is to get to know the Word of God, and I do that by reading it. That's one of the first ways that I begin to utilize the Bible to get knowledge. And of a second level, if you would... A second way to utilize the Bible is to gain perspective, to gain perspective. And perspective is, is basically what we're talking about here is, is seeing life from God's point of view. We all have a point of view. We all have a, have a perspective. But what we want to get to is that more and more we are seeing life from God's perspective, God's point of view. And it is radically different from what you're going to hear on the, on, the, on the talk show circuit or the, the news debate or whatever it may be. Isaiah captured it well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs captures Uh, even the the need for perspective in a little more pithy way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. See, here's what happens. When I lack perspective, when I lack God's point of view, I end up kind of viewing things and approaching things in ways that bring frustration and discouragement. And I look for all the right things and sometimes all the wrong places. And I miss out. I miss out on, on, on God's best, on God's life. But the goal here at this level of involvement is that I will understand the mind of God. So as I begin to more and more understand and and be acquainted with the Word of God, then I begin to understand more and more the mind of God. How do I do this? By studying it. By studying the Bible, by studying God's Word. I love the, the, the description of Ezra in the Old Testament. For Ezra had set his heart to study. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So here's the thing. Have I set my heart 
to study? Have I set my heart to study God's word? Well, well what, what, what's the difference between reading and studying? Well, let me, let me give you a phrase that I think may help, and that is simply write it down. Write it down. One of the things that oftentimes distinguishes studying and reading is I am, I am recording, I am writing down some of the things that God is showing me. Uh, in your worship folder this morning, and we, we've had this available to you uh, online and other ways through the years, but it's just a, a very simple devotional study form. And I just want to encourage you, you might just want to even keep that in your Bible. Uh, Just keep that in the front. You don't necessarily have to write on this every day. Uh, But I would encourage you, write it down, whether it's pen and paper, whether it's a keyboard, however you want to do that. But we just just want to encourage you, and this is is a model that I picked up years ago from somebody else and have taught it through the years, and it's just just very, very simple and yet very powerful. It's just based on the idea of SOAP, S-O-A-P. S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. And I just want to encourage you just to, just to, to begin to build into the rhythms of your life. As if it's not already there. Just, just a rhythm of, of taking, and this may be even a much smaller section of God's Word. Or maybe you're reading a passage and you just focus on a couple of verses in there. But it's Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. Now, hear me, most of us here use physical soap on a daily basis, right? And the people sitting next to you greatly appreciate that this morning. They really do. I want to encourage you to to use kind of this, this, this spiritual soap on a daily basis. So what does that look like? Let me just walk through it real quickly. I just, whatever the date is, uh, you know, Monday, uh, July 25th, you're there tomorrow morning. Watch the scripture passage. It may be just one verse, maybe two verses, maybe a, a parable or whatever it is, but whatever it is that you are looking at. And, and oftentimes may find it even helpful just to have a quick opening prayer, just to say something along the lines of Psalm 119. Open my eyes and I may see wonderful things in your law. God, as, as I just open your word, just open my mind, open my heart to see what you want me to see today. And then as you read, just begin to write down some observations. Just the most basic level. Who? Who's involved in this? What are they doing? Where are they at? When's this taking place? Why is this taking place? How is this being portrayed? Et cetera, et cetera. Just some of those basic observation questions. Are there some things in that passage that are emphasized? Is there some repetition? Are there things that are alike? Are there things that are contrasted? Are there things that you say, man, this is, this is really true to life. But the key is here, you're starting to write these things down. Write it down. It's not for publication. Grammar isn't, isn't all that important. If you misspell a word, it's okay, you know. It just it doesn't have to be, oh, I should start a new paragraph there. Just write it. Just write it, okay? Just write it down. And then the A is for application. Application. So as you begin to say, God, how does this apply to my life? And uh, there are many different ways to do that. Uh, Rick Warren and others have, have taught those space pets questions through the years. We've included those for you as maybe just a good beginning point for application, just to say, okay, as I look at this, if I, as I observe this, as I've written down some things, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude that needs to be changed? Is there a command to obey, an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray, an error to avoid, a truth to believe? Is there something here that I can praise or thank God for? And so as I'm spending time studying God's Word, as I'm observing it, as I'm writing down my observations, maybe even I'll write down some questions that I say, hey, I'd like to chase this out for further study sometime. 
But then we begin to turn and say, okay, God, so what? Uh, So what do I do with this? How do I apply this to my life today? How do I apply this to my life today on Monday as I'm walking into a brand new week? How do I apply this in my life? And maybe some of those questions will just trigger something. And maybe you're just reading something, and, man, before you even write down the first observation, God goes, right there. And you know. You know what he's talking about. You know who he's talking about. You know exactly what it is that he's calling you to do. But to, to say, what is the application? How do I apply this to my life? And then out of that application, you pray. You pray. And we've kind of given you a fourfold pattern there. You don't have to, to stick to that. That's just a kind of a way to, to, to keep some things balanced. But I find that the best praying just comes right out of the word. So it may be that if the application is there's a sin to confess, that's where I need to start my praying. Because God's shown me that this morning. Or maybe as I'm reading through that, the application, here is something, this is a thought about God I haven't thought in a while. Let me start right there. And God, I'm just going to spend a few moments praising you. Or maybe there's a situation that he's just burdened me about, and I just begin with intercession praying. So I just, I let my prayer begin to flow out of the scripture, out of that conversation with God. So I'm just going to encourage you, begin to read God's word so that you become more and more acquainted with the word of God. Begin to study God's word. Focus on a passage and write it down. Write down observations and application and then pray out of that application so that more and more you will begin to understand the mind of God. But a third level of of interacting, a third level of utilizing the Bible and catalyzing our spiritual growth is to use the Bible to develop convictions. To use the Bible to develop convictions. There's a difference between opinions and convictions. Uh, Opinions is something I'll discuss and even argue about. There are a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of opinions about a whole lot of things, do they not? And in case you ever doubt that, just turn on a talk show. Turn on cable news and see debating talking heads. Just read an article online and then go to the comment sections. And, and I don't know how long you can stand that, but if you, if you read that for a while, you may begin to think, do these people not have anything else to do in their life? Uh, but, but it's just everybody's got an opinion. There's a lot of opinions about a lot of things. I have a lot of opinions. You have a lot of opinions. We're not talking about opinions. Or seeking to develop our convictions. And a conviction is something that I believe so strongly that it shapes my behavior. That it shapes my behavior. That it is something that I just don't think about and talk about and spout off. But it is something that I believe at the core of my being so much so that it shows up in my behavior. And at this level, where we're asking God to take his word and, and develop convictions, biblically-based, God-honoring convictions. And we need it to navigate this world. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
You know, we're living in an interesting time. We kind of have a lot of talk show um, morality and, and reality show morality, right? So, so hey, folks will talk about, they'll, they'll make this appearance, and the more outrageous it is, the higher the ratings. We'll, we'll build this reality show around, uh, around the, this oddball behavior. And, and basically, we're just trying to say, say it's normal, it's, it's acceptable, it's okay, and, and everybody watch it and be entertained by it and take it in along the way. But God is saying, I want you to have the capacity to discern, to discern between good and evil. In order for that to take place, you're going to have to develop convictions. And even in the religious world, if you will, 1 John puts it this way. It talks about testing the spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Can we just be honest and say there's a whole lot of religious, spiritual sounding gobbledygook out there, right? And gobbledygook's not a Hebrew word, but it's a good word, right? And there's a lot of it out there. And there is, there is a need for discernment. Just because there's a large crowd, just because there are millions of dollars coming into an organization, just because it has wide exposure in whatever format, doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it's true. And there is an increasing need to test, to have the capacity for discernment. Here's what we know. People who deeply impact the world are people of deep convictions. People who deeply impact the world are people of deep convictions. Now, that can be a positive conviction or a very negative conviction. There are people who have impacted the world powerfully negatively because their convictions were misguided. But people who deeply impact the world are people of deep convictions. You know, one of our desires here is to be used by God to unleash a movement, to unleash a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers. And in order for that to take place, we're going to have to be developing men and women of deep conviction because the men and women who are going to be used powerfully by God to impact the world are going to be men and women who are living their lives, who are ordering their lives according to not just opinion, but according to deep convictions. And so the goal at this level is that I will share the values of God, that more and more my values will align with the values of God. You know, we all have authorities in our life, right? And at some point we have to ask ourselves, what's going to be authoritative in my life? I mean, we kind of, what's going to be the Supreme Court in my life, if you will? Is it going to be the latest fad, the latest trend? Is it going to be what's popular? Is it going to be what everybody else is doing? Is it going to be the tradition or the way I was brought up? In the end, it's going to come down to one of two choices. What's going to be authoritative in my life and yours is either going to be something from the world or God's word. One of those two is going to drive. One of those two areas is going to have the authoritative voice ultimately in my life. The world 
are the word of God. So how do I increasingly share the values of God? Well, it builds on what's already been taking place, reading God's word and studying God's word, but also by meditating upon it, by meditating upon it. I love the instructions that God gave to Joshua as he was taken over the reins of leadership from Moses. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, what I know is that when I talk about meditation, some of us kind of go, ugh, because some of us think, well, that not that like navel-gazing, or isn't that like uh, new agey, or isn't that like kind of, you know, sitting around going, um, or something like that or do you have to do yoga to meditate I mean you know we have all of all of these things well let me just let me just break it down I need it simple I'm a simple guy all right meditation is just repeatedly thinking about something that's what meditation is it's just repeatedly thinking about something in fact is what I already know is everybody in this room already knows how to meditate let me let let me just approach it this way I won't make, don't raise your hand because basically all of us should raise our hand on this one. Do you know how to worry? Okay, right crowd, okay. Every one of us knows how to worry, right? What is worry? It's repeatedly thinking about things we don't want to have happen or things that we're concerned about, right? Oh, my God, what is the doctor's report going to say? Oh, what if what happens this year is cool. Oh, my gosh, what if Trump gets elected? Oh, what if Hillary gets elected? Oh, what is it going to happen? Oh, my, what if he says this? What if she says that? How are they going to hear this? What are they going to react? Oh, what if the economy goes out? What if, oh, what if they don't sign this card? You do it all the time, right? We all do. What we're just saying is, why don't you replace some of that stuff you're repeatedly thinking about with the Word of God? Now, it helps if you memorize it. It helps to kind of keep it in front of you to meditate. But if you feel like, man, I can't do that, you know, we have so many opportunities. There's apps and all these things. I mean, put, it on, put, a, put a verse of Scripture or put a thought that God's just really saying, I want you to camp here. And maybe you just start off just one a week. And just say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit with this scripture, and I'm going to keep it on my phone, or I'm going to keep it on a note card, and just keep it with me. And I'm just going to repeatedly think about this truth. I'm going to repeatedly think about this scripture this week. I, I'm just going to let my mind just continue to kind of roll it over and over and over again. And what you'll find is that as you do that, It begins to take root not only in your head but in your heart. And increasingly, you begin to develop convictions. Increasingly, you begin to share the values of God. One other way that we'll talk about utilizing God's Word, and that is to use the Bible to direct my actions and my choices. To use the Bible to direct my actions and choices. And these all build on each other. We just looked at, at God's communication to Joshua. Let's stay there. Verse 7 was one verse ahead. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that Moses, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
be careful to do. Actually, if you go back up to verse 8, he talks about meditating on it day and night so that you may be careful to do, that it is to direct my actions and choices. James put it very succinctly in the New Testament, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourselves. That this is what happens if we just hear, we will deceive ourselves. We, we, can, we can hear tons of messages. We can attend lots of Bible studies. But at some point, if we're just hearing, if we're just discussing, if we're just sharing opinions, if it's not impacting our actions, it's not deeply impacting our life. The goal here at this level of, of utilization is that I will increasingly do the will of God, that I will do the will of God. And the way that I do that is by putting it into practice. That's why we talked about application there in the SOAP model. We want this to be about, God, this is what I do in response to what you have said to me through your word. Let, let, me, let me just give you a little secret about, about my teaching, preaching style here. And some of you, you, you've known this for years. Some of you may have just... Oh, I've never connected it that way. But, but if, you, if you would go back and, and look through messages, if you would go back and look at titles or sometimes the subtitles or a heading under that, you'd find a lot of them have in it how to. How to. So what, where did we go today? How to utilize God's word. How to appropriate. Just a couple weeks ago we were talking about God's grace. How to. Why? Jeff, why do you do that? Because I want you to put it into practice. I, I want to take God's word and, and, and serve it up in such a way that you know what to do with it. That there is something that you can do in response to God's word. So that as you'll go through, a lot of times, a lot of the points or the subpoints will sound, but I have a verb in it. It's kind of an action to take. And so that we're talking about reading it. We're talking about studying it. We're talking about meditating on it. We're talking about putting it into practice. It is something for you to do. So at the end of the sermon notes, very often we have a section, and you'll see here in just a moment, we've got a box, and we really want you to interact with that here in just a moment, a very specific step that you're going to take. But very often we'll talk about making it practical, making it personal. Why? Why do I bother to do that? Because I want you not just to be a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word. That if you just hear me ramble on for a while, it is not going to be as transformational as when you put it into practice. But don't take my word for it. Look at what Jesus said. Remember this teaching in Matthew 7? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The difference isn't in what they heard. One had a whole lot better quality teaching than the other. No, 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 no. 
They heard exactly the same thing. It wasn't about the hearing. It is about what did you do with what you heard. Those who did something, those who put it into practice, had incredible stability in the storms of life. Those who did not experienced a great fall. As you utilize the power of God's Word, as you read it, as you study it, as you meditate on it, as you begin to put it in practice, more and more you'll begin to know the, the, the Word of God. And now and though you'll you begin to be aligned with the, the, the mind and the thinking of God. You'll begin to share the values of God. You'll begin to do the will of God. But all, honestly, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that I will become like Christ. It's not just about what I do, but it's about who I become. That more and more I become a reflection of Jesus Christ to the glory of God, the good of myself, and the good of others. So that when Paul wrote the Romans, he talked about all that God has done, all that God has provided, all that God is still doing is about making you, conforming you to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So around here, we talk about what what we desire for you, what we uh, understand it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a fully devoted follower, a disciple of Christ. We've just kind of melded it down to three quick statements. The first is to live like Jesus lived, that our desire is that as you utilize God's word, more and more your character, more and more your conduct begins to reflect the character and the conduct of Jesus Christ. It begins to flow more and more from who you are, that you and I will love like Jesus loved. That the relationships of our life, beginning with our vertical relationship with our Father, the relationships horizontally with, with our family, with friends, with coworkers, with the church family, whatever it may be, more and more be marked by God's kind of love. And that's, that's not a sentimental, mamby-pamby love. That's, that's a love that's both tough and tender. But, but it's, it's, it's the love that Jesus loved with. Live like Jesus lived, love like Jesus loved, and then leave behind to leave behind what Jesus left behind. You know, every one of us is leaving behind us a wake. You know, that boat on the lake, right? We're we're leaving a wake behind us. Every one of us is leaving a legacy, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And what what we're just talking about is mission and purpose. We, We want you to leave a legacy like Jesus left. And obviously, he did what only Jesus could do, but there are things that he's called us to do that he did. That we are, we, are to, we are to leave behind a legacy of, uh, of lives that have been impacted by our life through our ministry, through our care, through our, our teaching, through our encouragement, through our belief in them, through our prayers, whatever it might be, the lives who have been impacted through our life, but also leaving behind a legacy of lives we've invested in. We've invested in lives who in turn are going to be able to invest in the lives of others. So that's what Jesus did. He impacted the lives of many as he walked the face of the earth, but he strategically invested his life in a few who would be able to carry on the mission after he was gone. And that's the wake that he wants each of us to leave. Lives impacted by our life, lives invested in who will carry on the mission of God. D.L. Moody Put it this way, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. 
I remember when I first started off in a local church ministry. One incident just confused the heck out of me. There's been many that have confused me through the years, but this was one of the early ones. Uh, There was a family in our church, and they were involved in a lot of things, and I, I never participated in this game with them, but the, the, the lady had a reputation for always winning Bible trivia. Uh, just, that never quite made sense to me, a Bible trivia game. But anyway, they, they played that all the time, and, and she, she like, would win almost every time. That was just kind of her reputation. But then one day, she left her family and ran off with another guy. And that just didn't make sense to me. See, you can win Bible trivia if you have a lot of information. But God doesn't want you just to be loaded up with information. He gave to you this God-breathed word for your transformation. But it's only going to transform you as you utilize it. As you read it, study it, meditate upon it, and put it into practice. And so the question that I close with is simply this. How are you going to do that? In this time of the year when we begin to think about fresh starts and new beginnings... What does a fresh start with God's word look like for you? By God's enabling grace, how are you more powerfully going to incorporate God's word into your life? Let me pray for you around that. Father, thank you. Thank you for this incredible, awesome gift of your word. It truly is transformational. And Father, just forgive me, forgive us when very often we just kind of take it for granted because it's so so easy to access, so easy to, 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 to have a part of. And Lord, I, I just, I pray, Lord, that just because it's easy, just because it's familiar, Father, we would not, we would not disregard the power, the awesome gift of your word. And Father, I just pray, I pray for myself, I pray for every person here, because Father, I, what I know is that the, the more, we, more we go forth with your word, we will not be the same. We will not be the same people. And I pray, Father, for your transforming grace to be at work as we utilize your word. And Father, would you just graciously right now show us what that looks like personally? Father, speak to every one of us in this room right now. What does it look like for us to incorporate God's word more powerfully in our life? And I'm just going to ask you just to continue to sit before the Lord.